Hello, and welcome to Kaiju Curry House, the bi-weekly podcast where we give you the best of kaiju banter. I am joined by my co-host, Paul Williams, and you are listening to Joe. Tonight, we are going to dig up a real relic. That is the relic, and it is a 90s creature book and horror film. It has the best of a lot of things in it, including a great Stan Winston creature. But before we get to that, Paul, what have kaiju been up to? <laughs> I've been up to a fair amount, actually, ish, I'll say. Um, so last episode, we talked about Kaiju Ramen, uh, Volume 1. So that's now been successfully funded. Uh, as and it I, would be. It's as awesome. it would be. And I, I'm happy to say that I've, I'm a backer, so I look forward to receiving Good that. Good on you, sir. Catching up on the, the year's worth of, of ramen that I've missed. So that's that's very good. I watched The Iron Giant I know I watched 20 minutes or so before we recorded the episode, but I've watched all of it You're now. You're such a procrastinator, Paul. I just, really? I, I just had to finish it. Um, so, so let's say how my family reacted. My eldest, I wouldn't say hated it, but he was just like, yeah, after five minutes, he was just bored. Bored, did not right. care. Uh, my youngest liked some parts or looked up at certain bits. Not during the action, but more the, but the child bits when the kid was playing. And he was very sad when... Uh, the deer gets shot and, and it's died. He's kind of looked yeah. up and was like, die? <laughs> like, yeah, guns are bad. Killing so, deer on screen has been bad since Bambi's mom. Yeah, so obviously he he's obviously an animal lover and he didn't seem to care as much when the boy got injured, but when an animal gets hurt. Yeah, oh. it's just a human. There are plenty of those. <laughs> That's it, yeah. They aren't going extinct anytime <laughs> soon, or are they? Mm, we'll hold off on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel I should have watched that film as a child, but as an adult, it was, it was very well animated. It was... A predictable story but it was very cool when the robot shoots all his lasers and stuff um it was a quite a tearjerker ending i have to say even my I wife told you. like my wife tuned in for like the last 20 30 minutes and she was crying she was like i haven't even seen the rest of this film but it's so sad i know but it ends on, <laughs> it ends on a better note like i just like every time like you hear superman and i'm just like no. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, she's just like, but hang on, they've the army have handed him this screw, which she obviously didn't understand the perp, you know, because she hadn't seen the start of it. But she's like, that's the only part they could find. And yet there's these giant legs walking somewhere in the Antarctic. How do they They're not moving? They are moving. <laughs> like, and, they, and the army didn't see that. But yeah. But no, it, it's a good film. Um it's a great film. I say my oldest didn't like it. I'm wondering a few more years if my youngest watch it again, but I enjoyed it. It's a it's another one of those wholesome films. Yeah, like you you can drag that out once a year and just be quite content with it. I mean, it, you don't have to watch it even every year, but you, you know, it's one of those ones. Oh, you no. can highly go back to. So no, it's not something I've put on all the time, but I, I think I'll I'll try it again in a few years and just say, oh, you know, give that a try, see what you think. Yeah. Um, also, one of your presents, Joe. I finally started reading The Land That Time Forgot. How are you enjoying that? I'm finding it a little bit difficult at times. I think because it's, what, just over 100 years old, some of the language is just a little bit, obviously, older. It's, it's of the time. It's not putting me off as such, but it was a bit distracting. I've just kind of got to adjust to certain terms and things. And the whole, you know, it's like there's the woman in it, uh, LaRue, you know, she can't do anything because she's a woman. It's just kind of, it's that sort of thing. 
she does later on in the other books it's, okay. it's interesting because like tyler takes the main you know like standpoint because it's written from a man's perspective however there are three books kind of in the trilogy the land the uh people and it's just it goes on but uh, so is this is this the, the the trilogy that you sent me or is this just the first in the it's just the first the first right okay the first and arguably the best of the trilogy but um yeah it is neat it is neat you and there's one that there's one sailor that does not speak very good english and it was it was annoying me trying to read what he was actually saying have you gotten across that uh the germans and the brits are not getting along not getting along <laughs> is that um, an understatement? when would they ever get along nowadays <laughs> well sorry yeah but i mean during this time i mean it's it's i love the, the amount of time they put into the setting of this you know of him just being on a boat that's then torpedoed by the nazis and then it's just yeah it's good it's good i like the, i like the setting um, they aren't even they aren't even nazis sorry, so they just they're just are they yeah, I, they're just actually, what year was it oh no it wasn't yeah no it's this is just yeah yeah this is Early just, days. Just, just Germans just shooting people, just shooting civilians on a boat. It's a very naughty thing to do. To yeah. And they have to band together and pull their resources. Of course they do. The land that time forgot. And I feel it's slightly, um, I mean, it says that it's illustrated. And when it says illustrated, it means there's like a picture that's like a quarter of a page that you kind of have to squint to see what the image is actually on. I could have, I could have gotten you the graphic <laughs> novel, Paul, but I felt. Like oh no! Would, I mean, I felt like that would have been cheating. <laughs> I think they should have just done it without those little pictures. I'm guessing that was what they have on the original print in like the whenever it was 19, 1911. Yeah, this, is de- this is definitely like a pulp novel. For those of you who are just <laughs> listening along with us, Paul has shown. I mean, it's not even arguably. It is a small picture. It's a very small. <laughs> it, it's um, I'd say one one by two inches it's you know it's a small picture uh so for, for what it says illustrated edition you like <laughs> thought there might have been a full page print yeah once once they uh once they reach the uh island continent whatever as you say uh it is quite a bit more fun while they're while they were on the submarine it got a little bit back and forth tedious for me but the second that there were large, dangerous, scaly things, I was back in. So. I'm quite, I'm quite interested in, the, in in that back and forth, and you know, having having the the German captive and stuff. It, it, yeah, yeah, that's it. They they put a lot of time into into setting the scene. I like that. Not, I'm not gonna. I say it's fine. I just look forward to to reading all of it because there are three chapters in it or three parts in it, which made me think it was the trilogy. Hmm. I think the trilogy is a little bit longer, but I forgot which one I've gotten it. But just the cover just says "The Land of Time Forgot." It doesn't have the other uh, novels on on the cover, so there we go. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, when see. I, well, yeah, we'll when see. I get when I get into the others, I'll I'll let you know um, what it is. Um, I also watched the film Dune or June, however you want to say the it. new one. Yeah, oh, the I new one. I haven't seen it yet, but I've obviously read the book, so anything that could have happened, I know what would happen. So feel free to spoil away. I didn't read the book, and to be honest, I didn't like the film. <sighs> It, it felt like I'd just One been dumped into this world. Someday, dear listeners, Paul will read a book before he sees the film. And he will be a good person for doing that. I this. did that with Ready Player One. I think that's the only time that I'd actually read a book before the film came out. Usually I watch the film and they're like, oh, I really like that film. I'll put the effort into reading the book. Because that's going to take a lot longer than two hours or so. Mm-hmm. That's going to take me like two weeks or months, knowing me. 
Yeah, well, I've decided to punish myself by reading the Cimmerillion before the Amazon series comes out for Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes, you like the, the rings, don't you? I'm a Lord of the Rings fanatic. I love it. <laughs> but uh, the Cimmerillion, for those of you who have not tried to take that book on, that that is for some advanced willpower readers right there. So is that but, bigger than the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or... It's not the size. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the size, Paul. But I'll tell you what. I I will I will send you an like an audiobook and we'll see if you can take five minutes before you're lost. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what now? What? Who's doing a song? Huh? Anyways, okay. we get off topic. We digress yeah. again. <laughs> get off topic. Yeah. Um, and the the one last thing which isn't, it's um, they, there's there's Kaiju in Fortnite, Joe. Just to throw it out there. They've brought they've oh, brought really? they've brought creatures into it now. They're massive beasts. They're six legged, almost dragon like, but without wings. It's very so Drake. Imagine, is that what they would be called? It feels like I was watching How to Train Your Dragon, but they were massive and didn't have wings. That's a sort mm. of chunky look with big spiky teeth and glowing eyes. It was kind of cool. Just thought I'd throw yeah. that out there. Cool. But anyway, Joe, I've waffled on for a change. How about you tell me what have Kaiju been up to? So I've been up to a few things. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last episode, but I did watch uh, Book of Boba Fett. Oh, you watched that now? Excellent. I I saw the Ray Harryhausen tribute. That was awesome. I have spoilers, folks. Sorry, this is a series that's still coming out, but there is a young Rancor. I really dug that. That was a practical effect. That was cool. Um, What else have I been up to? I just said I've been reading The Cimmerillion. Why did Joe pick this up? Well, he wants to get ahead of the Amazon series and he hasn't read it in a while. The other thing is, too, is when I read it, this is early teenage years when the films were coming out by Peter Jackson, and I don't think that I quite got the gist of it, but in the Cimmerillion, you find out where dragons come from, how Balrogs came into existence, what they actually are, their powers, their abilities, their personalities, their languages. It's kind of neat in that sense. So I wanted to delve into that, and I haven't reached that point yet, but I'm excited for it. So I'm going to keep on reading that book. what else has Joe gotten himself into? Hmm. Not too terribly much else because Joe's been a good little boy and he has been doing his job and studying and basically <laughs> just keeping up with like the dad tasks. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks and just been getting into it. I did, however, see, I just noticed this today, that SH Monster Arts have dropped a Godzilla Singular Point Rodan figure. Yeah? How's that look? I don't, I don't normally go for the SH figure arts, but the thing is, is you can fold up its wings so that it looks like they're folded up in the show, and you can unfold them, and it looks like it's flying, <laughs> like in the show, which I That's thought cool. was a, vi- that was a very clever bit of uh, articulation. I have to hand it to them in that case. Because that's not something I have really seen pulled off on any other figure to date. So, kudos. I yeah. I, I respect that. I also are saw. You, are that, you going to get it, or just no. you just admire it? No, okay. No, I mean, if I was going to get a singular point Rodan, it would be like the awesome jet black, like beamy version from like the very end that Godzilla like blew away in five seconds. Like, okay. <laughs> that one looked cool, but. Um, 
no, the regular version doesn't have that much appeal, but it is neat. And it comes with like a lot of little Rodans flying around it, which well, was also cool. a, it was also a nice touch. Yeah, like I think that like people have hummed and hawed enough about like bring back like the accessories. We want to see some cool articulation points. We want to see some new sculpts. I feel like they're listening now, and that's really cool. Um, in terms of other new merch that I've seen, uh, I saw an X Plus Defo Real 1998 Godzilla with a night color scheme. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> don't laugh i thought it actually looked pretty cool oh, but uh okay. that's neat and then there was also a jet jaguar defo reel that lit up as well that's cool which what shame alex isn't here because we totally get his opinion <laughs> on that but you know oh also while we're speaking about it i noticed the spiral studio uh queen mudo figure i saw that on my instagram it looks amazing i will never be able to afford it yeah but it looks that's why it looks, it looks amazing it, yeah, it looked awesome. It looked awesome. So hopefully X Plus comes out with one of those one of these days because that's a bit more my size range and price point. But it was just, it was a beauty to behold. And it's like the size of an X Plus gigantic figure. And so if you are a Muto fan, there's the merch is a coming, you know? So that was cool to see. But yeah, there's just been like a lot of neat developments going on the last few weeks just in merchandise alone. And it's cool. I've enjoyed that. Yeah, that's so, what I like. Yeah. So shall we get on to our news segment, Paul? Oh, go on then. Oh yeah, go, go on, on then. So, go on. So we have had people writing us and asking questions, and now we're going to start to dedicate parts of the podcast to this. So if you're thinking about writing us, commenting or something like that, let us know. But the thing that I think that, can you edit that out? <laughs> Goddamn phone. I'm sorry, I didn't silence it. And then my ex-sister-in-law texted me. So, so yeah, let's go on to our new segment now as a surprise. Paul, do you want to go over this one or shall I announce it? Uh, oh, we need a name for it, don't we? Or should we ask someone to write a we name? Do, we do need a name for it. Kaiju letters? Kaiju, letters? kaiju letters? Yeah, go for kaiju it. Letters? We could do Kaiju letters. We'll use Kaiju letters this time, but you guys need to come up with a better name. All right, folks? So this is the first thing. We can have submissions for it. So we get a lot of mail. Most of the time, it's people asking, how much is this figure worth? But we're <laughs> branching out. And sometimes we get some really neat comments and interesting questions. So tonight, we have picked three that we thought were good. We will keep it fairly anonymous because why not? Um, but uh, if you want us to use your full name or, your, or whatever you use online, by all means, let us know. But we will read out your questions so paul you had one from uh tom i think it was i did yeah i did have one from tom and it's aimed it's fair he's having a go at me for not um opening in your alien book but i mean come on tom I've, have you I've, opened the I've, alien book i haven't opened the alien book no but i've i've started on the <laughs> i've started on the land that time forgot okay let oh, me get i got you an alien picture book i figured you'd read that <laughs> because it's got pictures read in. <laughs> in quotations yeah so right. okay well once i've read the book you got me for my birthday i will look at the pictures and read about the aliens that you got me for christmas but okay i am a pain <laughs> <laughs> so tom's tom's question uh we talked about the iron giant episode firstly just to say that he absolutely loved that um, film. He said it was a very emotional, childhood favourite. And mm -hmm. in a nutshell, he says, uh, if you were to bring the Iron Giant into today's times, you'd basically have Baymax from Big Hero 6. And he wants to know, Smokey Joe, what are your thoughts on that? 
because he's saying it's got very similar emotions, attributes, and selflessness, which is true. I mean, it, yeah, it's, I'll give it's learning. It's just that obviously, I suppose Baymax was designed to heal, whereas the Iron Giant was designed to kill. But they're both learning from a child. Yeah. I think, I basically think that that's just like nature versus nurture. The the philosophical qualities of discussing AI. There's a lot of cool things that come into that comparison and that question. I do think that uh, the Iron Giant and Baymax have a lot in common. That is true. They're both very childlike, to, and they grow into, you know, more learned beings, or like they start to reach that point where they are exponentially learning and understanding. But uh, I don't know if I could necessarily call the Iron Giant today, like yesterday's Baymax. Because whereas Baymax goes forward into the future into like a different, you know, like cultural setting from what currently exists, whereas the Iron Giant tries very hard to stay like rooted in a 1950s era, you know, like sci-fi culture realm. I think that Baymax has a lot more things going on with the character culturally and emotionally than the iron giant does the iron giant's a more linear story whereas baymax goes in several different directions there are a lot more like woven plot threads into big hero number six so i think it's just more complex on a lot of levels than what the iron giant is and i think the iron giant excels because it doesn't try to be too much i think it tries to hit like a few notes very well sure but I do see the comparison. That's a very good comparison. I like that. If that was aimed at me. It was aimed at you. <laughs> okay, there. <laughs> I, I did it. I asked a question. So I've written questions down. So, Paul. Okay, we'll hit read, me. We'll read Nick's question out. So Nick asked, guys, who would win? Gwangi from the Valley of Gwangi by Ray Harry Hassan or Rexy? AKA Roberta from Jurassic Park. Rexy. Rexy? Yeah. Just because I like Jurassic Park more. <laughs> <laughs> Just you and your modern special effects fetish. Yeah. Um, don't go That's looking a cool. up at a fetishist, children. <laughs> don't do that. Um, ask your parents. Don't tell them you got it from this podcast. Um, ooh. I mean, the thing is, is Guangi as quite a, small, isn't in comparison. No, Guangi's huge. Guangi's huge. So like Guangi straight up tussled with an elephant. Elephants are pretty massive. Mm, okay, well, yeah. Mm. Actually, actually, ooh. I don't know. He might be about the same size as Rexy. Yeah. Presuming yeah, Guangi was kind of said as a he, wasn't he? Well, you see, the thing is, is that Guangi he does like have his tail hitting the ground he, he he is like a tripod arrangement you know he's one of those old school dinosaurs where they drag their tails so he has a lot of stability oh so you're actually thinking about this in a proper way oh i'm sorry <laughs> this, just like, this is like I how I, to, this I, is how i bet on things i just like the names and stuff i just I just want to know how Rexy would do versus a bunch of cowboys. You know, I feel like that would be the deciding factor. I'd say he would definitely beat them. I don't, I don't know how, does a bullet pierce this? You skin? know, 
I, 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 I think I think Rexy would probably win that one when I think okay, about okay. it because like because Rexy's taken on like a bunch of Raptors. Rexy took on the Indominus Rex. Okay, I mean, right. We're going by the the history of of Rexy. There. Re- Rexy's Rexy's okay. got some feats booked in. You know, I, I'd have to give it to Rexy in that case. She, I guess, it would also kind of depend like where in Rexy's career we're at too. But Guangi only had the solo film. But no, I'd have to give it to Rexy. Rexy's probably got you know a few ton, like a ton or so on Guangi, and then yeah, probably faster too. I'm, I'm gonna give it to Rexy. I'm gonna say Rexy. Okay. 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 Thank you, Nick, for your question. That was awesome. And then there is Sarah. Sarah has, you know, a, a more detailed question. What is your favorite folklore kaiju? And please be specific. So this is this is where we need to get a yokai specialist in. Uh, that would know, be really handy. Yeah, that would have been handy because you know we consider yokai kind of kaiju <laughs> on this podcast. Or someone does at least when he's not whiffing it but um ooh, favorite folklore kaiju and i'm trying to think of folklore kaiju the first one that comes to mind is a troll well i'm going to try and be specific so where i'm from in southern well not where, ooh, I'm from, okay. where i last lived in southern illinois there was previously a pictograph on a cliff of a dragon-like creature called a paisa bird. And um, according to Native American myth and legend, this was a real creature that, you know, terrorized the local tribes or tribe in years past. And, you know, it was devouring maidens and it was doing the, was doing the classic dragon stuff. It had a deer's antlers, a human's head, um, eagle wings, and eagle talons, and I guess like long snake-like tail. There was like there are uh, images of what this pictograph used to look like, and you know it's pretty uh, easy to see, like the paisa bird. But essentially, it comes down to this chief, and he's just like, you know what, you're going to sacrifice me to it this time. And when it comes to take him away, he flings himself down on a like on a ledge, grabs hold of a root, and as it tries to take him away. Like its talons dig into him so that he's been mortally wounded, but at the same time it gives archers time to like fire away at the paisa bird and thus dispatch it. And the chief like lingers on for a little bit and then he dies, you know, total legend. And yeah, so because it was relatively local to where I lived and like it was even a school mascot for one of the schools that uh, we came up against in, you know, like our basketball and stuff like that, I'm going to call out the pice bird thought that was pretty neat okay uh, that's very specific joe well um, she asked for specific, well so, well done so sarah i hope that meets your you know your criteria and paul likes trolls i like well, uh, well that's the th- first thing that came to mind are, are we talking about online trolls are we talking about frozen trolls okay let's talk about troll hunter trolls i'm changing it now medusa from clash that's of okay. titans because that's, that's just nice. a classic image um that is i mean i suppose it's folklore isn't it it's classed as that because it's it's a greek mythology um yeah i think that's actually a really good topic for another day like if i could research that and see what see what european folklore uh creatures there are as well and stuff like that cool but you're going you're going with ray harryhausen i'm gonna go with ray harryhausen's but i think that's a that's a great question sarah and 
I think we should, I'm going to look into that a bit more. Cool beans. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed Kaiju Letters. Please write to us. Help us come up with a better name for that segment. But, you know, like, <laughs> we enjoyed it. That was cool. How, could, uh, Joe, to... how can they write to us? All right. So it's, it's, it's real tough. So we have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. You just tag the admin on the Facebook. Um, you can message the page on Facebook. Uh, did I mention that we have Twitter? We have Twitter at Curry Kaiju. You can comment, at Curry Kaiju. Yep. You comment on the video on YouTube or, of course, yes, the Facebook group. And then we have contact. We have contact us at ukkaijufans.com. Oh, yes, we have email as well. So, like, we check all this stuff. <laughs> you know, like we we are <laughs> putting it out there. We are easy to get a hold of. But um, yeah, so by all means, write us in your questions. We'll start reading them. But we'll try and do three an episode. How's that? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Well, anyways, we're gonna take our first break, and then we are gonna get into some relic. Hello, and welcome back to episode 87. I am your host, Joe, and tonight, Paul and I are going to be talking about The Relic. Now, originally, this was a book released by Tor Press in 1995. So, good old 90s book, kind of like Jurassic Park and the like. It was written by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, and I have my good old dog-eared copy with me here tonight. It is over 450 pages long, so it is a chunk of a book. And I think it is great. It even says on the front cover, far above Crichton's Jurassic Park by Bowles. Those are fighting words right there. <laughs> and you know what? It does do a darn good job, I will say. So, Paul, before I, get, before I get to <laughs> rambling about a book, which we all know I love to do, how about you go over the film really quick? Should I go about the film? Yeah, because I haven't read the book, surprise. But you uh, have but, seen this film. I have seen the film a few times. Prior to, prior to this podcast. Yes, yes. He's getting better, folks. He's getting uh, better. <laughs> I I have, or I, ha I had this film on VHS that I recorded off the TV. Holy cow. I Showing mean, our age there, Paul. So that's, yeah, I, I'm Do we I'm need to explain what a VHS is? Yeah, VHS, it's a... Because it's, it's I feel a, like some people need to be explained like what DVDs are now. No, they. I'd hope not. Ooh, so I, showing her age there with that comment. But no, I mean everyone knows what Blu-ray is, and DVD was just you know the format before that. It was all it's just a digital. Whereas this was um this is just a, a format where you would um save your discs on save save your discs, save your films on or um, TV shows. It's just so a blank piece of media you could record on back in the day. And I recorded the film whenever it was ITV Channel Four late one night. And I loved it. It was a really good film. I am wondering if I saw a cut version because I swear I watched it like years later and it seemed like it had some more scenes in it. And I know sometimes they do that, don't they? They take out just chunks of film. They have to like edit it up a little bit so that it fits within a time, time, time frame. Slot, yeah. Because so yeah. I remember I watched a completely off topic. I watched Die Hard with Avengers and they cut literally like 25 minutes of that film out. <laughs> and when I watched it on DVD, I was like, oh, look at all this extra stuff. Nice. But, um, yeah, but the, the relic. Um, so uh, we'll say spoilers because we're going to talk about the whole film. But spoilers. What spoilers ahead? So in the relic, there's a an anthrop anthropod. Oh, you know the word anthropologist, anthropologist. Um, who goes off uh, chatting to some tribe. He has a drink, which I assumed was just some sort of hallucinogenic. But we then see him seeing him trying to get hold of some crates that he was going to ship to the Natural History Museum. 
cut to I think it's a week later and the boat that he sneaks aboard trying to find the crates I think it was more than a week was it more than a week okay more than a week yeah well he, he he's trying to find his crates because he needs them for whatever reason sneaks onto the boat the boat leaves and it's not on there and then let's say let's say a month later the boat rocks up and everyone's been killed What's going bum, on there? Bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, um, and viciously decapitated, not just not just stabbed by some crazy guy. They're um, yeah, they're, they're they're vicious. And you are this is you'll see the bodies. You know this is I don't know what rating the film actually was, but there are heads bobbing around in the water, so it is um, quite graphic. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the the things that were meant to be shipped were actually flown out because they were left on the dock, and they arrived at the museum. And there's a like a totem, a, a stone totem of the Kafoga, um, um, and a crate that's just got leaves in, which seemed a bit random. But um, the why is that random to you? You're British. You drink leaf water, hot leaf water. That's like one of your guys' favorite things. I would, I, I would just, it? I would just have a box of leaves. <laughs> what do you Back think we do in the UK? Paul's ancestors are turning in their graves. Leaves are valuable commodities. <laughs> well the um margot was her name she was a biologist Dr. margot green margot green yeah that's it she's the evolutionary went, biologist sorry went to school for that degree yeah <laughs> give her due credit yeah and she's she sees the leaves and she's like huh there's like some fungus on it and um they say you like burn it because it's it's useless and they could be diseased but she's like okay we'll burn it but i'm gonna take a few to sample and you know she does some does some tests on it and it turns out sciencey stuff she does science these scientists and um it turns out it's full of hormones we 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 gotta give margot her credit here she is is not no she's not she's good she's not a malicious scientist she doesn't go creating any monsters she actively tries to stop monsters and she is logical and prepared and cool all the way through it she is. She, I, because she's the, the the shared lead, she, isn't it? She dispatches the monster in this film. She does. She is single handedly smart scientist who takes on a creature. And we've got um, the, you know, the second lead character's a superstitious detective who's trying Lieutenant to figure Decoza. out. Yeah, Lieutenant Decoza, Decoza is trying to find out why all these bodies have been decapitated on a um, on a boat, and. Um, yeah, and then what the link is to the museum because a security guard's decapitated to the museum. And it's just like, huh, that's strange. Has the killer gone from the boat to there? It's like, well, I suppose so. I don't know how this creature sneaks around a museum because he's not small. But, um, but he manages it. Anyway, there's a, there's a big um, superstitious display going on at the museum so obviously they want to stay open despite this murder all that everyone comes the mayor comes all that you know all the big names unless you're gonna guess things go horribly wrong in the museum and the creature who actually turns out to be the anthropologist from the start who i don't know how to, he, he explains this to me actually joe he he drinks something and that mutates him into a creature the book explains it okay that's because in the film it's just like you see him with the <clears> tribe <throat> he has a drink and kind of hallucinates that there's a creature and then suddenly he's this giant monster help me out here right so when did this film come out 
The film came out in 1997. Did it do well? No. No. <laughs> it, it about broke even. You want to know why this film didn't do particularly well, Paul? Why is that, Joe? Because they changed everything. <laughs> everything? Well, pretty much everything. So okay. the book is well-written and it's a thriller and it, it, it documents its logic pretty well. It ties up a lot of loose ends and it's a slow burner. It's really good in that sense. So the book, it, you don't find out until much later about the anthropologist that went to South America. So okay. in the book, it's called the Mubwan. The Mubwan. Like okay. And you find out kind of in the epilogue of the book. And I, if you want to read the book, please do. Please stop this podcast right now and read this book so that you can get the appropriate surprises because it is a wonderful book. It comes very highly recommended by the Joe. So again, we're going to start full spoilers here. I'm going to ruin every surprise from the get-go. Three, two, one. So the Mubwan is this creature that this very isolated tribe in South America is able to conjure up by brewing these leaves and letting someone drink it. And that person then becomes this creature. And it becomes this creature because the leaves in which they're brewing have this virus that affects them. And what this virus does is it rewrites your cells based on the cells of other animals that have come before you. And it kind of like creates a chimera. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, okay, yeah. different animal parts all thrown together. Well, that's it. Because in the film, they specify, huh, this has got a lot of gecko DNA in it, which is why yeah, it so turns that's, into that's reptilian. Some, that is just like a huge thing that they threw in to like justify a couple of really cool effect shots that they wanted yeah. to do. <laughs> but in the book, so the person who this tribe wants to turn into this vicious monster to like combat like a logging company or another tribe is the anthropologist because they don't want to sacrifice one of their own. And yeah. he's just this dumb, unwitting, you know, guy that comes in and like, here, have this leaf water. No one else is drinking it, but we thought you might like it. Anyway, um, he gets infected by this virus. Now, the metabolic changes and the metamorphosis that he has to undergo require some very specific hormones and stuff that you can only really find in the human hypothalamus at any like real levels other than these leaves which are chock full of it yeah so without real knowledge to where these leaves are he starts going after human hypothalamuses and the thing is, is he's a doctor of anthropology and he doesn't really lose a lot of his intelligence oh that's good okay. i mean like I, to say that he's kind of in a fog would probably be true but if you can imagine the wolfman with a bit more sentience, yeah, you know, like that's that's kind of where we're at. But how he gets to the museum is understandable because in the book, it's the New York Museum of Natural History, not the Chicago Field. The Chicago Field Museum is where it takes place in the movie. Now, the New York Museum of Natural History is like it goes so far underground. It's connected to so many different things, like there's so many sub basements and like sewer outages and stuff like that going down into like all the places where they store the stuff that you don't see in the museum. 
So where the creature can hide during all this time and how it got in there, a person who was learned enough, say a doctor who worked at that museum and could figure it out, you know, like how to get there from the docks and stuff would be this guy, like New York's like abandoned subways, the sewer system, all this, like they, you can get around New York by it. And so he gets into the museum and this is after he's offed everybody on, on the boat, a, on a big cargo vessel. Yeah. So he, you know, he's gotten quite a bit of this juice to start his metamorphosis and like time is going by. So slowly, but surely like there start to be fatalities in the museum and they're really cringy and they're really well-written and it's quite creepy in the book, how they're written. It's, it's great. So in the film, the bit with the janitor. That's it. There's just the that. Yeah, there's just that, isn't it? It's a, he's a security guard. He's having a bit of weed and the creature yeah. just cuts that, his head off. That's all. That is one of the kills in the book that was done fairly faithfully in the movie. Okay. Virtually all the rest of it is just mishmash creature feature horror stuff. But in the book, like that's one of like the least creepy kills, the least creepy encounters. Okay. But they did do that well, the guy that was having the joint. But um, yeah, so it, it proceeds like over some days, maybe a week, you know, like how things are going. But one of my hugest gripes with the film is they left out Pendergast. So there's a detective, his name is Pendergast, as I just said, and he is arguably one of the main characters, if not the main character of this story. I would say I would say there are three main characters. There's Margot, Degoza, and Pendergast. Margot is the real clever cog, clogs because she is finding out this stuff. She is having the encounters at the museum. She is seeing like her colleagues who she really likes, like oft. So she has a real stake in this, and she is clever and she is driven. And it is a fantastic bit of writing that does any female character credit in any book i think that she's a great character and she comes back in some of the sequels to this book so which are later referred to as the museum murders but degoza is like your average new york city beat you know detective and you know he's good it's just that he's like the normal cop and then pendergast is like your sherlock holmes like he is like the highbrow like really good detective like let's get this stuff done so the fact that they wrote him out completely of the movie, when he, plays, when he plays a pivotal role in the book, this is like if we were watching Disney's The Little Mermaid and we wrote out Sebastian, no. you know, like, it's like, yeah, that, it's like that. It's like, <laughs> okay. it's like that level of like, what? So the creature in the book, it is intelligent and it bides its time. And it's taking out people that aren't necessarily important. And what's really neat are the encounters themselves. They're explained and detailed so well. So there's a really great scene in the book where Margot is looking through the superstition exhibit because she's just, like, Margot isn't necessarily, you know, like a jealous or icky person, but she's kind of like combating like funding. Like she wants more funding for her department. And the museum is throwing this like huge superstition, like gala ball and all this. And like all the funding's going to this exhibit. And she's just like, well, my department's doing like real science rather than yeah. superstition. 
can we can we throw a little bit of that money my way? And she's just trying to get funding and grants and stuff like that. So she's just wandered around the superstition exhibit, you know, like as she's leaving for like the night, she's coming like all this money spent on this. And like, I'm trying to do gene research that can help people. And meanwhile, people are looking at like these creepy swords and stuff like that. And like, don't walk under the ladder. But anyway, like the actual music, like superstition exhibit isn't lit very well. Like people, like the guards, the guards are like shutting off the lights and stuff for the night and getting ready to lock up she's walking through she kind of smells something and like she knows like she kind of gets this feeling she's not alone she's looking around and she's in like a dark room and i don't know if you've ever had this but like if you have been in like a pitch black room and like someone's in there with you or like you can see like a black silhouette on black i don't know but i hide and seek in the dark stuff like that <laughs> things that i played in my childhood you can see people in real like a lot of darkness like you can feel that they're there you can kind of see like their silhouette like if there's just enough light you can you can get by but what Margot like she feels like she feels like this presence she smells the stink it's kind of like feeded she says and she's looking around and like there's like this large skulking black figure that's so quiet but it's shifting slowly towards her. And because she's in the superstition exhibit, she's like a little bit more creeped out than she normally would. And she basically does the like, oh my gosh, you need to get out of this dark basement and climb up the stairs as fast as I can. You know, like that kind of yeah. mentality. We all have it, but she does it out of that room. And while I was reading that, I got that same feeling. It's just that incredible writing that's in this book. So it's interesting that, she's that the creature's quiet because in the film very loud very deep a, a wheezing well it does wheeze but it's like it, when in that particular scene like she turns around and it's kind of like there watching her and okay. starts to slink towards her and yeah because in, the, in like, the in the film she she just runs because she hears the noise and then when she's hiding in the toilet a cleaner comes in and takes an asthma inhaler and so she's yeah, also that's just oh was. that's what it was yeah yeah so in the book, they try setting, like, they know it's a creature, and they try setting traps for it, and they do, like, all sorts of things. Like, these are, in, like, the sub-basement, and, like, all sorts of other stuff, like, cops are involved. They figure it out pretty quick. It isn't a surprise. There isn't a massacre outright really quickly. But, anywho, um, the creature itself. So, Crash McCreary, who did a lot of stuff for Jurassic Park and a lot of wonderful things for Stan Winston, is responsible for the creature that you see on film. His talent aside, it is quite different from the creature that you see in the book. So to use two characters that we've already talked about in this podcast, the, the difference between the creature in the book and the creature you see on screen is about as different as Rexy is to Gwangi. Okay. So in the book, we have like a primate upper torso, cranium, arms, and then like the back half is started to shift towards dinosaur with like bits of other, you know, like thrown in. So we've got like human intelligence. It's starting to lose its sight. It smells really well. It's got talons. It's got like really thick hide so it can take like a bullet. And it's just coming after people and going after their human hypothalamus, which is basically their brains. This is a brain-eating monster. I don't know how else to say it. But 
the film does not do that creature justice because it is quick. It is really stealthy. It is intelligent to no end. And in the film, it's it's just kind of like a creature. Like you barely get a glimpse of any intelligence with it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's a scene where it looks like it's recognized Margot because it, it like kind of hesitates to kill and, and gives her a little lick with its tongue. But I suppose apart from not being found, there is no intelligence is there or nothing that we would see. There's no traps that we can see it avoid. It's just literally a load of people turn up for a gala and it goes and eats them in a massive rampage, which is yeah, well, obviously in the, the book, film. Yeah. In the book, it figures out the trap while the trap is you know going on and then it leaves. Yeah. That not sounds really cool. Cause, not without causing like a lot of carnage. And then like the second time they try to throw a trap, it just doesn't buy it. So it's a great creature. Now, with regards to the get-go, I told you we'd come back to that. So in the movie, they wanted to have it crawling up walls. Yeah, because that is a really cool scene. Like a gecko. <laughs> yeah. So in the book, which written in 1995, this is just after Jurassic Park, I'm surprised that they went this route, but not everybody does as much research as Crichton does. So Douglas Preston, Lincoln Child, the reason the reason the justification for the gecko dna in the creature when they run it's like genetics is because of this virus that's putting in like all these chimera aspects but what it basically is is dinosaur dna but it's only like shreds of it that are left in the modern day gecko like that's how it's kind of explained like these ancient reptilian traits so that's that's why we see gecko dna in it but again i would think that the concept of the creature in the book, which like, you know, in the movie, you have the SWAT teams repelling off of these lines coming down to like save the citizens trapped in the museum. Well, in the book, like the creatures like swinging off of those lines and like clawing people in half, like midair and like dispatching the whole SWAT team with like these acrobatics and these awesome moves. And in the movie, we just kind of had like this brute force lion beetle crocodile hybrid. And it's, it's, it doesn't, how oh, you know it's, of... it still looks really cool in the film I, I think the film's great i really well, enjoyed it i i couldn't enjoy the film after i read because i read the book first uh, i didn't even know there i didn't even know there was a film see i know i'm the other way around i've seen the film i had no idea there was a book until you've mentioned it the book Let alone is... a trilogy or but did you say was it a trilogy or just more than one? Oh, there there's well more than one book. okay basically like this book like pendagast has like a whole series like there's a sequel to Relic called Reliquary and basically and it keeps on going and Pendergast keeps like going after like more like this Moriarty character but anyways Relic okay, was the first but, one yeah. Relic was the first one in this series and the only reason I even knew about this is because one day I was just going into like the local bookseller because I didn't have Amazon back then showing my age and I was just like I want something like Jurassic Park you got anything and the person at the bookshop was really cool I was like check this thing out so picked up Relic, read it in a day oh, because absolutely. like, because no, because it was that good. And like, I remember being like late at night and like having like some of the heebie-jeebies. It was just, it was the first <laughs> book that gave me the like heebie-jeebies. And I dare say, if you pick up the book, you will encounter an entirely different story than what's in the movie. It is just that different. The locations are different. They've written out like main characters. Many of the scenes in the movie don't follow what's in the book. Like Dr. Frock, the guy in the wheelchair. 
Yeah. Dies in the movie, right? Yeah. Lives in the book. Okay. Like it's just I mean, stuff. Similar. I mean, that's like Jurassic Park, isn't it? Yeah. Like John Hammond, Hammond dies in the book, but lives in the yeah. film. Yeah, Hammond wasn't a cool guy in the book. For everybody who feels sorry for Mr. Attenborough, <laughs> anyway, um, but the book is really incredible. I give it a hearty two thumbs up. Like it is one of my favorite reads. I actually sought out a first edition of this book because I was just so enamored with it. The movie, after I found out that there was a movie, I hunted it down. I watched it, and I was just looking at it. It's like, yeah, this isn't there was read. <laughs> This there was effort, but this is a load of garbage. It's like if you watch Jurassic Park after having read the book, you realize, wow, they cut out 80% of the book. However, thank goodness for Steven Spielberg, he knows how to make a good film. So that was pretty like Jurassic Park was really solid because it was groundbreaking, but some of the core elements were kept and it, I mean, it was really watered down, but the core elements were kept and it was a really fun ride. Relic, core elements were left out. It wasn't necessarily groundbreaking because you'd had Jurassic Park earlier and it didn't have really any family aspects. It was, it was a horror thriller book and they kind of went like, I feel like a creature feature horror sci-fi route than anything yeah it, yeah it, and they've, they've taken the ideas haven't they from the, some some ideas from the book and thought well what could we make this into like a into a blockbuster movie let's lose some of the smart stuff and just kind of speed it up what relic would best That's, be fit as would be like a mini series yeah as you were if describing you, that was describing book, made, i was thinking that if you if you made it into like you don't necessarily have to go like Mandalorian level or something like that. But like, if you had like seven episodes to like map this book out, it would do really well. And in that format, and it wouldn't require a huge budget because you need one creature, you need a museum set location and museums are usually free to get into anyway, but like you can do a lot with that and you don't have to go over the, like well over budget, but Again, it should have been a mini series, and I hope someday someone revisits that. So, yeah, The Relic is a great, great book, but in concept on film, it doesn't do great. Now, what I can say that the film did do well that Paul and I were looking at was the practical effects. There you go. You love your practical effects because so, I say the CGI was a little bit ropey at times on this. A little bit. Especially when he was on fire, that just. Especially when it was on yeah, fire. That yeah, that was like, oh, that's uh, the the rest of it. It isn't bad. It's just obviously not at the Jurassic Park level. That's all. Yeah. It it was fine, but yes, practical effects, Joe. Practical effects. They were men in a suit. Two. Stan yeah. Winston, men in a suit. Men in a suit, training for three months. Um, they they hired in a um, a creature. Um. Behave, an, an, an animal yeah. behaviorist yeah to to say how the animal would move and these, these poor guys obviously stuffed into a suit um there are two two different actors who kind of shared that burden we've got brian Steele, who um who's actually done quite a lot of stuff he's um he's actually the robot at the moment in lost in space 
Oh, cool. Uh, which is very cool. But it, I mean, he's also been in Terminator, Underworld, um, Hellboy. So he's done a lot, a lot of creatures um, mm-hmm. going on from that. The other guy was uh, Vincent Hammond, who hasn't done quite as much, but has still, you know, kept busy. He was in um, like Stargate and Star Trek doing like aliens in more mm-hmm. TV series. But um, either way, they're in a giant creature suit. Um, you can tell when it's them it's, too. So, because the forearms, especially. So, it's kind of like when folks do the gorillas these days. You know, like they make a really convincing looking gorilla suit. Yeah. But the forearms, like you can't get that kind of same hand dexterity that you do with your own because you have like those arm extenders. If well, that's it. It's all extended, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. So, you have this really great looking suit but it kind of just bends at the joints. We don't really have like lips curling. We don't really have like the digits moving. The tail doesn't really swish back and forth very much. I mean, it moves like its arms, like it can like paw at stuff and like its mouth can like open and close and its little pincers can go up and down. But you don't really get a lot else out of it. And it feels kind of like, clunky it's gorgeous but it's clunky it's like one of those animatronic dinosaurs that you see at like a museum museum exhibition you know that's what i kind of get out of yeah. it yeah well i mean this Only is it looks gorgeous don't get me wrong it's a gorgeous looking creature the thing what we've got now with with the modern effects is it can be a, a person in a suit but they can add the fingers and the arm movements a bit more can't they whereas at this point it was quite stiff as you say because they didn't have any moving parts. They're all, it's just extended. John and... Carpenter's The Thing has ruined me, though. Oh, so yeah, that, God, that was... Because that, that was in the 80s. That was, yeah, that was like 15 years lo- before this and film. And on a lower budget, too. Well, I did find, when I was reading about this suit, they actually have um, fans inside it, they said. Yeah, because I mean, all the that actors... silicone and padding and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. they, were, they, were, they couldn't move free. They, they needed help to get inside this suit, and they were just in it for hours a day doesn't sound nice at all no it really doesn't but kudos to them for doing it um did they put on a convincing character performance paul well as the creature yeah well there's not much they it's it's clunky isn't it and yeah the number of cutaway scenes you don't really see it move i mean it's it's good in a way that you don't see the creature for a fair bit of the film and then when you do see it a lot of it is mixed with cgi and it's kind of dark anyway. So it's it's kind of convincing in the fact that you don't see that much. But, but it isn't uh, a great cre- it isn't like Jaws, you know, it isn't used to maximum effect, is it? No. It's not. I mean, I think I still think it's a it's a really fun film. Um I guess it'd be nice if the creature did show a bit more intelligence and it could move more realistically, but I'm not going to be down on it because I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, <laughs> when they all. were asked, like, Crash McCreary said that he wanted it to be, like, panther-like. He wanted it to, be, like, move and be, f- like, Which, uh, feline and in all, nature. And that's all the CGI bits. Like, when it, it, as you say, it climbs up the wall like a gecko and it, it pounces at one point and grabs one of the SWAT guys going down um, on the rope, doesn't it? You see that there. But when it's, a, when it's the suit, they just don't have that freedom. You just kind of see a head move or a 
or something because they just can't they can't do much with it okay so you just described a scene that you thought was cool yeah so in the book you have an upper primate half with talons on the end of the fingers mm. swinging on the swat ropes like and using like dinosaur claws on its hind feet to like grasp onto things balancing itself with the tail and like punching its talons through guys through guys chest and ripping them down as wow. they're on like on the ropes and when i think of that compared to intelligent creature whilst they're firing at it trying like desperately to like ah, it's okay. not as cool no no when you put it like that it's not as cool as a, a it's giant kind of cat like, it's, so it's kind, it's, it's kind of like when you watch Return of the Sith and you see Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan going at it, and then you see a new hope later on, and it's just like, <laughs> bzz, bzz, like this, these like, I understand yeah. where the movements come from, and we always yeah. pick on Star Wars, it seems, but like, you do. Revenge of the Sith had like a really cool lightsaber fight <laughs> with acrobatics and stuff, and then New Hope, classic it may be wasn't as nuanced shall we say so it's just it's one of those things but the book it's so much cooler pick it up like on an audiobook or something i mean like right now on amazon you can pick the film up for like six pounds 79 for the blu-ray which is nothing so the audiobook has to be out there as i talk about this i'm looking it up the relic audiobook if you want to watch The Relic rather than read it um, and, and have a fun night, it's available free on BBC iPlayer. Well, I'll tell you what. So The Relic, Pendergast Book One, which shows you how integral Pendergast was to this plot line. Yeah. It's on Audible Audiobooks for nothing. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah, so you can read for free with an Audible trial. Of course, yeah, the free so trial, yeah. Yeah, and then um, it's twenty-seven pounds, I guess, if you just want to buy it outright. Well, an audiobook. Yeah. Wow, that so seems. You, you listen to it rather than actually read it. So. Oh yeah, it just seemed quite pricey for an audiobook. I thought they were like five pounds. Yeah, well, a lot of some of them are really good, where you have like a little bit of voice acting going on. You can have some like subtle music in the background to like add like a creepy effect and whatnot. Audiobooks have come a long way. Give okay. them some justice. But yeah, so like. You can pick up the book. I mean, the book's been out for ages. You'll find it in a variety of different price points. But if you want to give an audiobook a trial, by all means, go on Amazon, give it a go. And then, like I said, the film is nothing to pick up. I mean, £6.79, that's for a Blu-ray, that's not bad at all. But it isn't the book. You need to read the book. <laughs> a lot of effort was put into the film. I, I respect that effort. But whoever chopped up the plot elements of the book, they need a scolding. And I'm giving it. Okay. And I am I'm giving it. Have I rambled enough this episode? I think Paul? you've rambled enough now, Joe. We've, we've gone on for about an hour now, so I think we could um, discuss, um, if nothing else, perhaps. Oh, if nothing else, <laughs> Joe recommends the read the relic. But uh, other than that, um, I'm not going to go and recommend the Cimmerillion to people outright because a lot of people would come away not liking me anymore. But uh, 
I will say it's gotten me in kind of a Tolkien mood. And if you like dragons and large dangerous scaly things, you should read The Hobbit, which is a great, easy read. It's got some of my favorite lines ever written in it. And it's got a big honking dragon named Smog. So give it a go. Paul, if nothing else, what do you got? If nothing else, go watch The Relic because it's oh, a good you time. Dirty, rotten. <laughs> Co host you. And um, yeah, and, and Joe, you've, in, you've inspired me with your, um, your, your early discussion about your folklore creature. And I would like to know some of our listeners' favorite folklore, especially if they've got one like you have, where it's like actually in their hometown or home, you know, something that you think, oh, you know, I live in Loch Ness, you know, and, and obviously there's Nessie, but. Nessie lives in Loch Ness. People live at Inverness. So, oh. You know what I mean. <laughs> that sort of thing. If it's a, a, a local folklore, I'd love to hear some. There we go. Well, Sarah, <laughs> who asks that question, I challenge you, write us back with your favourite folklore creature. There we go. There we go. Well, thank you very much, folks, for letting us ramble in your ear about the relic. Please write us or get in contact with us so that you can be on Kaiju Letters. Or please suggest a better <laughs> name for that segment. We don't mind. But until next time, keep it Kaiju, folks. Oh.